Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the world, welcome to the second annual unofficial, official, non-Academy Awards Awards podcast for the movies of 2014. And this time we have a very, very special guest. As you know, this is something that we do um, every year with our, our very good colleagues from Blokebusters. However, this year we have sent the Back to the Podcast Learjet to the United States and we have exclusively flown over to the studio the wonderful Mr. Paul Hawkins. Welcome to the show, sir. Oh, thank you very Here much. we are. Well there it is. Here we go. Now, you do know that you could have had more than one film on offer for the flight, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were tight, man. <laughs> Watching Lucy on a loop was not the best part of that. <laughs> How was the service, though? Did you get the little nuts with the little smoked almond things? Do you have those? Yes, I got the two nuts that were in there, yeah. Excellent. We didn't spare any expense. <laughs> you did Only not. Only the very best. <laughs> Next year, of course, this means you'll have to fly us over to the United States to uh, yeah. host it over there. Let's so, do that. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll make sure we put it in the diary just before we we'll sign off today, just so we don't forget. <laughs> no, yes, don't want to forget that. <laughs> um, for while you're here, is there anyone you'd like to give a shout-out to to your in- endorsees or sponsors or your many fans back in the United <laughs> States? Or would you like to explain why the hell Brian isn't here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would be remiss to forget that... We are now a part of the Pod Bros Network, and it, it's a great, great gang of podcasts that uh, we we put out our feelers for, and they were saying, hey, we, we like the idea of having a film podcast, and we happen to be the one that they took. I don't think they actually listened to us, they just had us on. <laughs> but yeah, so that, it's been a lot of fun being part of that, and the reason that Brian is not here is he's in America. And he's actually in Hollywood, isn't he? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. He had, he's had the phone call. He's had the phone call. <laughs> yes, he, he's actually gone to talk with the Academy about yeah. what they did wrong. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we've dispatched Brian to <laughs> handle that um, shenanigans over there for next year. <laughs> and in the meantime, dear listeners, welcome to our Oscars podcast for the movies of 2014. And without any further mention, I think, uh, Mr. Bear, let's have a look at some of the nominations for the first so category. We're going to go to the first category. Um, so we've got a lot to look forward to in tonight's um, event. Um, but for the first category, we're going to go to Best Male Actor. Um, and the nominees for this are... Benedict Cumberbatch for The Imitation Game, Bradley Cooper for American Sniper... Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything, Ralph Fiennes for The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Miles Teller for his performance in Whiplash. Okay. Would you like to do the honours, or shall I? Or, uh, <laughs> as we welcome them up here? Yes. Shall we talk about why we sort of chose... These films? Yeah. Looked so, look, look at some of these names uh, for this. I think for us it was a, it was a tricky one this one because I think we do try, endeavour to try and be different and steer clear of the Oscars general thing. But I think this year we felt that well I personally did that actually the ones in the leading you know in the leading position were actually you know very very strong on, on all on all levels. It wasn't yeah, well, you know it was it was too difficult to be controversial this year and, and go for something different. Well, it is very difficult for the Academy to completely miss people when there actually are only these guys putting out fantastic performances because yeah. I, mean, I can't imagine them having put 
uh, Dave Bautista mm-hmm. on the list, even though he yeah. was fun. Like I doubt he would have ended up on the list. Yeah. So yeah, it, uh, this is I think probably the one category where it's most similar to the yeah. Oscars. Um, and and I think we know why Ben DeCompass is on the list. So he's yeah, fantastic. He's <laughs> generally, an all-round good guy. I often find that this that this category is one we never have a problem finding lots of names for and later when we do the best female actress that's one where in the past where we've been like yeah. struggling but the girls have done quite well this year but we'll come to that later I, w- I also noticed that with with these movies it's usually movies that have heavy dramatic content in that seem to be the ones that seem to very are very sort of strong in this category where there's a lot of dialogue and considerable plot and that's like if you look at the list there, you know, that seems to be sort of backed yeah. up by that. Yeah, and most of these films had the actors given the biggest range, and that's what you yeah. need to base it on, really. I think what we're looking for is that dynamic range of, like, the highs and the lows, you know, and that's kind of where, how we're going with it. So that's how we felt about it. I'm sure we'll get more into the films as the podcast yeah. goes, because these films often crop up in other categories. <laughs> um, gentlemen, would you like to move forward with the uh, nomination and, of course, the winner for this okay, category? so the winner of Best Male uh, for... 2014 is Eddie Redmayne for his portrayal of Stephen Hawking in The Theory of Everything. Well done, Eddie. Bloody good work. Why, why did that one win over all the others in the end when we talked about it? I mean, for me, the, as, as we already said, I, I think this is the only one where I have 100% agreed with the uh, Oscars when I watched it live. He obviously won the Best Actor for, for the Oscars a few months ago. And I, I don't know, I mean, I, I think... I think it was just it was incredible to watch that as a performance. I mean, we all know. I mean, we we did our podcast on it. I think you did as well. Did you? And yeah. it probably all came up in conversation that you know the the film was already very well made on a lot of levels. But then to watch this actor who was going through the motions of of you know portraying this you know disorder and and what a challenge that must have been for an actor's life to do that. Um, it was just really incredible to see and and do it so well and I mean it was something we brought up in our podcast where there was supposedly a scene at the end of the film where they used the real Stephen Hawking and I didn't even clock it I didn't even realise you know it's just sort of a testament to how you know it was him it just was him for for the two hours of film and I think he did it brilliantly I think so I I think my my take on this one is that sometimes with actors there's some amazing actors out there people like Anthony Hopkins but a lot of times you see actors basically Morgan Freeman do themselves a slightly different version of them yeah but this is one where there's no way Eddie Redmayne could have stayed with him. He had to be a completely different person yeah. Yeah. in every in every physical aspect to get into that for the whole thing. And it's like that to me was like a hell of a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. and and as long as it it came out with a lot of people really really feeling the struggle, and uh, I, I believe you guys mentioned in your podcast as well that Stephen Hawking said that at times he felt like he was watching himself. Yeah, so. Like, that's got to be the biggest reward that any actor can have is someone saying that I felt like you were me. Like, yeah. that's, that's what I was going for. That and, of course, the nomination and winning of this award as of well from award. us. Yeah. Not the Oscars, this, well, this, this one. This, this one, one yeah. Yeah, this is the icing on the cake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so well done, Eddie. Well done indeed, Eddie. Right. Should we move on to our next category? Our next category uh, is Best Female in a Leading Role. And the nominees are Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games, 
Emma Stone, but I don't know what film it was from. <laughs> I haven't written that down. It's the only hole in my paper. So we'll just pause there and we'll just work that out and then I'll come back to you, listeners. <laughs> Can, can someone quickly look it up? I don't know. <laughs> well, there's a certain embarrassing factor right now. I hope there? it's not The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think no, it, was, it wasn't. wasn't. Or The Amazing Spider-Man 1, maybe. <laughs> okay, let's find it. And do you want to keep going with the list for me? Yeah, that? Okay, I'll carry on down the list. So then we've got Angelina Jolie for Maleficent, Zoe Zaldana for Guardians of the Galaxy, and Rosamund Pike for her performance in Gone Girl. Um, and I'm hoping Byron will just get me the name of that Could it film. Have been, she was also in Birdman as well. Emma Stone in Birdman. Was it Birdman? And The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I didn't nominate her. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is, so is who that, put that, that name all, in? Is that all she was in last year? Who, no, hang on, let me... I was going to say. <laughs> I think there was another one. If uh, we can't find the film, we're going to need to officially... Um, yeah. officially Magic in the Moonlight. That's the one. Magic in the moon. Well, there we go. Right. Well, it sounds to me like me and Byron both have not seen this film. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so you might be able to it, tell Bob. who didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you start with why you wanted Emma Stone in the list of best female? <laughs> All right. The short answer is she was very good at Magic in the Moon, <laughs> even though I couldn't remember the name of the bloody film. Um, well, no, she she plays in that film someone who is a psychic that the co- Colin Firth is sent to debunk, and the two end up getting fairly close together. And I just felt that every single beat in that film that she hit, she had to hit, like being this psychic and then st- starting to get close to this guy, but knowing that she shouldn't, and then. A whole bunch of stuff happened. I don't really want to spoil it for anyone that hadn't seen it yet. Uh, and you really followed her throughout the entire film. But I, I will admit that um, a, given that you two haven't seen mm-hmm. the film, and b, some of the other people on this list, she's not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you spoiled the ending. <laughs> <laughs> So, what about the rest of this list, then? Back to that list, Bear. <laughs> OK, let's read through the list again. So, okay. Jennifer Lawrence, Emma Stone, Angelina Jolie, Zoe Zaldana and Rosamund Pike. Uh, Byron, do you want to uh, add, in, um, add in a few of your thoughts before we announce the winner? I would like to say that one of the reasons I was plugging Zoe Saldana mm-hmm. was because I felt that she had just great consistency um, in, in very strong f- feminine roles, which is one thing I personally really like is this sort of quite distinctive I always go back to a Sigourney, the Scorny Weaver kind of thing you know where she plays a very tough character in the Alien series and it's like I like that I like that the, the women can have that role especially in very masculine films and I saw her in Guardians of the Galaxy and of course we've seen her in Avatar and I just like that she can step up and do that and she could match strong male egos especially fucking bodybuilders you know yeah. so I like that she's got that sort of place in there as well, which is one of the reasons I like to nominate her. I didn't feel so strongly about Angelina Jolie, uh, personally, <laughs> and um, 
what was the other name for? And Rosalind Pike for Gone Girl, who I, I've just recently seen. I mean, yeah, I, I saw I've that as well. Yeah, recently finished watching Gone Girl, and I thought that I, I was really impressed with the film. Anyway, it's uh, quite troubling, isn't it? Because it's, it's the sort of thing you think could actually happen. Yeah, and yeah. In the in the twisted way that these sorts of things do happen, and uh, I mean, this this film was a good one anyway because the, because the story was great. It was really interesting, and it kept you really interested. For it was a long film, it was a two and a half hour film, uh, two hours forty minutes or whatever it was, and and I thought she did brilliant. I, I mean, you know, Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. He's in good films, but uh, you know whether he's a good actor or not is another argument. But he's always in very good and watchable films. But I think she was very, very good and watchable. And 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 the thing about that film was that I didn't, I hadn't read the book prior to the film, and 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 I had no idea of, of where it was going to go. Um, and I thought if you'd got the casting of that female lead wrong, the film could have taken a very difficult turn. Um, and not in a good way. I don't. I mean, in a sort of unwatchable, you know, difficult to portray. I think she did. She was a very good choice for mm. that role. But I don't want to say too much because I, I guess we're not spoiling these films in case people have. At least trying not. I think we spoil People haven't seen them. <laughs> I'll not know what to expect. <laughs> well, I think we've reached that stage. Okay, so the winner of best female for the movies of 2014 is Jennifer Lawrence for her role in the Hunger Games. It's like deja vu, really, I think. Yeah, now, for those of you that tuned in last year, as I'm sure it's all of you... Um, <laughs> and more. And more, yeah, is that we obviously had this had her as a winner for last year, and here she is again, uh, this Jennifer Lawrence, and we thought, could we, could it be, is it possible to have <laughs> someone two years in a row? Paul, why do you think we would do that? Why do you think it happened that way? Well... I would say probably two reasons. Number one is that I have yet to see her in anything where she doesn't do a really good job in the role. And number two, well, everyone else would probably say, like, just look at her, there you go, she's won. Like, it's one of those things where I I think she's going to become the next, uh, like... Julie Andrews and uh, like Maggie Smith. I think she's going to go through the rest of her career just knocking out solid hits, and she's going to be one of the ones to really follow. The new Meryl Streep. Yeah, there you go. Do you think she'll also have as much powerful magnetism when she's, let's say, in her late 30s, so let's say 35 to 45? Do you think she'll be the same position? Or do you think she'll go down the route of... um, Who's the lady that played uh, Catwoman? Uh, oh, Halle Berry? <laughs> yeah, do you think she's going to Halle Berry and tank it? I mean, what's, well, what, what are your thoughts on this? I, I like to think that she's got a strong enough head on her shoulders that she'll keep making smart decisions. Uh, I just, uh, obviously, not being able to predict the future, I can't see what roles will become available to her as she gets older. But I think she's just going to become a staple, really. Kind of like George Clooney is. He'll pop up in this and that and the other. I think she's going to turn into that. I think what summed it up for me is is when I saw her in Silver Linings Playbook and then American Hustle, where she wasn't playing particularly good-looking characters, which showed that, you know, she's not just getting hired now because of, you know... Because she's obviously a very attractive woman, but it was nice to see her in two films where she was actually just hired for her acting ability and, and, and they kind of roughed her up a bit. They made her look a bit like a sort of a, you know, a rougher, a rougher looking character and I think that sort of proves that she's actually a very good actress as well as, you know, a, a 
pretty girl. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's one of the things of uh, kind of like uh, the, the male version being Hugh Laurie, like yeah, you know, an attractive-looking guy who can act really well, is incredibly funny, can play about five instruments. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. too much talent in yeah. this one person. <laughs> that's it. Well, there you have it. So that's why she's appeared again, and um, who knows what could happen for 2015, but... Right? I think also it's just worth mentioning about Jennifer Lawrence, and, and this might sort of show the way she's planning on going, because I think she's she wants to grow as an actress, which has become apparent, because recently she's gone out publicly and said I'm not going to make any more of the X-Men films yeah. so she, she's, she's currently filming the next one yeah, but, she's, she, but she's publicly said I'm, I, I will not be making any more after that which is very rare for actors and actresses to do in these big comic book chains because there's, so, there's always so many that go yeah. on and, and it's very difficult to, to break away from um, and it, I think it shows that she, she's growing. You know, she's growing up, and she obviously doesn't want to be associated with this for, that, for that long. That's the thing. She, I'm sure she's seen loads of people getting typecast in these roles, and that's just what she doesn't want. Because I mean, obviously, Hugh Jackman is now just Wolverine. There's not much yeah. else. Even in Chappie, he's Wolverine. Yeah. Like, there's, yeah. there's, there's not much to it there. So yeah, she's definitely smart to. Get out and yeah. try not to be stuck in a role. And I think that's, inte- that's an intelligent move from from her. I think you know. So, good luck to her. We say. So let's see if she can make it a, a hat trick next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on to our next category, which is the best use of visual visual effects. Uh, now, so to clarify, before we go through this, we we are looking for the best use of, not the most or or the you know the most explosions or the most green screen. We we we're looking for films that that uses a, a nice variety of visual effects that really filter in nicely with the real action and, and the uh, and the dialogue. And not even necessarily the most polished, just like the ones where you know there's visual effects in there, but it's not front and centre. Yeah. The, the best definition I had a friend of mine say when he was trying to describe this to me a few years ago was the first Iron Man film was, was a really nice way of... Uh, between you know re- real life and CGI, and you you weren't quite sure where the CGI ended and where Robert Downey Jr. in the suit uh, be- you know begun, um, but then they sort of went over the top with it, and I think that's the sort of basis that we're looking at all these films, the best use of, of visual effects. So the nominations for this category are Edge of Tomorrow, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America 2: The Winter Soldier. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, X-Men Days of Future Past, and Interstellar. Um, so let, let's, let's go into a few of why, why, we, why we picked these films. I was particularly positive towards Interstellar because it just had such a clean, such a clean look to the way they did it and had such a... I can't, I, you can't even see a little peep of light behind the curtain accidentally coming through there was just no no gap there was all just so clean and smooth and that was for me you know one of the ones I, I, I wanted to wanted to push in there Paul? Yeah I, mean, I, I understand the feeling towards that the, the problem I had when it comes to talking about the CGI in Interstellar Sorry about my chair The problem I had with the CGI in Interstellar is that it is basically front and centre for most of the scenes, and then uh, like you have you have them on 
well, I can only imagine being a little set and then everything else is just filled in. It's just like a, such a heavy use of mm-hmm. CG and it's some of it did feel like so, hey, look at this nice CG effect we've done. Like, so, rather than your, your simple, s- simple small things that they either take away or add into shot, which you might just not quite be sure on. Mm-hmm. That being said, those robots are fantastic. I did, <laughs> I did enjoy TARS and the other guy that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. Uh, what, what else do we have on that list? So we had, um, we've gone through Interstellar, we had Edge of Tomorrow, Captain America 2, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, X-Men Days of Future Past. I mean, I think Dawn of the Planet of the Apes sort of goes without saying, because any time we see one of these films, they always, they always try to do something new. Uh, we know the first one, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, had a very sort of revolutionary approach to the way it was going to... Um, Perform these, you know, these actors in these uh, in these suits. I, I don't know what the name of these suits are, but it's something Andy Serkis has done many, many times. There, probably. Yeah, that's, that's what they normally are. Um, and I and I think you know, with with the sequel, you know, they they had a bigger budget and they had more time to develop a, an inter- a more interesting plotline. And 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 I actually really enjoyed the sequel. And I think it was sort of you know they they basically just had more time to develop what they'd set up in the first one in terms of effects and. You know, and for me, the second one really looked like one of the older Planet of the Apes films done in a sort of modern day. Like, I really like the sets and the and and where they were. It really looked like one of the, the one of the sequels to the old Planet of the Apes films. Um, Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, um, who's who's seen this most recently? Because I, 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 do, do you want to take us on Edge of Tomorrow, Brian? Yeah, I just think I just think it didn't really hold true for me in the way we categorised the best use of it. It was just the flagrant use of it to tie everything up together and you know, huge amounts of battle scenes and I think this is for me why, you know, I, I can't really, you know, say that it would be a strong enough contender to want to take the title. No, I mean, it, the CGI was good, but there was never any point where they actually felt like they were really there. It was. I think, yeah, that's one of the main issues is the evil sort of Martian-like creatures just felt a bit hammy. Yeah, I, I think like, if this was made in two years' time, they'd have probably have access to um, technology that would give you just that extra polish on it that would have made it more seamless. But uh, there was there wasn't enough smooth edges on them or something to just make it really feel like they were there so mm-hmm. and that, that's my argument anyway yeah I think that, I think we agree with that one yeah so um, without further ado shall I announce the winner of the best use of visual effects category um, we decided to go for Captain America 2 the Winter Soldier um, this was a bit of a controversial one we did, we did spend a bit of time talking about this I think mm-hmm. but, but, but for me I think this really does epitomise the, the definition of this category it's the best use of visual effects and like I say I mentioned you know the first Iron Man film obviously we we know that these films are in, in essence fantasy science fiction they're not real but for me it's like there's a there's a difference between a film that is believable in the sense that you've got a nice balance between visual effects and the live action as opposed to just ramming it full of CGI which I don't believe they did with this and I, I really felt there was some some nice scenes and I'd like to add that visual effects also doesn't just suggest CGI to me it suggests 
um, car sequences and and fight sequences, which there were a lot of fantastic ones in this film, especially the one with Samuel L. Jackson. It was the first time we got to see him sort of do a bit of proper action, you know, in a while. Oh yeah, it, it's definitely one of those things where you've got you got your visual effects, which typically means special like CGI special effects, but visual effects is really anything on screen yeah. where they're doing that sort of stuff so yeah the i wasn't even thinking about the the car chase scene mm. but that, that was a really well and that's another thing of uh, you got the cg of the the dashboard and all that so you're seeing all that and then you got all the practical effects as the car's yeah. getting beaten up so yeah that was a good blend thinking back on that yeah but i mean for me probably my favorite scene in that film visual effects wise was there was a couple of sequences where he took down a couple of the big ships, which are obviously heavily CGI, with his shield. And I just thought those sequences, from a sort of choreographed point of view, and then the, the balance of CGI were just were just really perfect. I mean, and, and that film was great anyway. I mean, we, I think a lot of people agree that that was a, a very good Marvel film that they pulled out. You know, after a few questionable ones, I think that was a, a very very good one. Hello. I've always said that uh, the Captain America films seem to me to be the ones where they take their time, they give you a lot of exposition for where they're heading with their franchises, while the other ones are the more exciting ones. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So, so I, I kind of enjoy that every now and again they do take time to slow down and give you a Captain America 2 yeah. while you're waiting for... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or something exactly, like that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's one of the things that we said was majorly important and, and was a, a, a very distinguishing factor between that and what's going to happen later this year with uh, uh, Superman and uh, Batman, Batman yeah. and coming to the equation. And that was where they felt like they're really rushing that and this yeah. has more of a pace to it and it's more established and more grounded. Yeah. And everything they do... <laughs> In the Marvel seems to work. It seems so even, and for me, and I don't like this genre. Yeah, yeah. So that for, for it to work for me, that's really saying something. Whereas there are other friends over there in in tight suity land, um, you know. <laughs> wait, let's see what happens. Really, I think the thing that came to light with with this film for me, um, a couple of my friends said that you know we, we, we're about to embark on the Star Wars journey again at the end of this year, and, and Disney are about to to go down the Star Wars thing. And I remember a few years ago they mentioned the fact that they're going to do a similar sort of thing to what we've been seeing with Avengers. They're going to have, you know, the main three Star Wars, 7, 8 and 9, but then in between we're going to have these little sort of spin-off ones. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, I debated it with a few friends of mine. We were saying, you know, the spin-offs, who cares about them? You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I do, I'm not sure if they do. But then the moment we saw, you know, Captain America 2... And then we thought, hold on, you've, you've really excited me with essentially a sort of a spin-off film here. You know, because really, we're just waiting to get to Avengers 2 or, or one of the bigger ones. And that's just one that... Who, who would have cared about Captain America 2 before that film came out? Um, and then I, and it came out and everyone was like, holy crap, I, I, can't, I, I want to see Captain America 3 now. I don't even care about <laughs> Avengers 2. And I think everyone started thinking, if, if they go the same sort of quality route as with the Star Wars is, and we see start seeing, you know spin-off Bubba Fett films and you know we get one, two, three in between Star Wars 7, 8 and 9 it, it, we could be in for a really interesting journey well, and I think that Marvel as well 
they've got such a great business model going. Like, have you either of you two been watching Agents of Shield or Agent I, Carter? I haven't. I, I'd like to watch it though. But it it's brilliant because although there was one thing I will say, I was watching Agents of Shield every week as it was coming out, and I had to wait I think two weeks before I saw Captain America. <laughs> they gave away the Hydra part of Captain yeah. America in the show because it ran in time with this episode came out the day after yeah. the film came out so uh, so there was that but I was sort of expecting something like that so, so they, they've got all of these things running alongside so you can watch these while you're waiting for this film and then you're watching these films while you're actually waiting for the big films yeah. and so it's something that you haven't seen for a long time I mean the old studios used to do like big packages of these films are all going to be about this and we're going to do this but and then that went away and, and now it's kind of coming back and I think a lot of other studios are going to be looking to Marvel for oh so okay we're just going to do this yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> they've planted a lot of seeds over the last you know nine years or so and I think we've got a lot more to come well, they'll keep doing it as long as people keep going I guess as long as people keep spending the money on it yeah it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing in the world if you just said ten years ago that Marvel, the comic company, is going to be one of the biggest film studios in the world. Yeah. Everyone's going to just look at it and be like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, well, we, we were very... Well, I personally was very pleased with Captain America 2, and I think, as a to, to specify, I think best use of visual effects, I think definitely worthy winner. Um, so, yeah. So, moving on. Uh, to our next category, this is best minimal use of visual effects, or or basically no visual effects. I, I don't think we ever specified which one, but we're basically looking at films that have very little or or absolutely none. So we're just we're just basing it on the text, the dialogue, the the storyline, and and everything else as opposed to the the effects. Um, so the nominees are the Imitation Game, the Theory of Everything, Whiplash. And Chef. Um, Byron, why don't you take us through some of the through some of the nominations for this category? This is a game where we go back into dramatic territory and you know you're going to get some real heavyweights in them because whenever you've watched these films you're going to really fight for them because you just know oh, there's some good stuff in there and I think this is one where we had a bit of trouble sort of you know nailing yeah, no, it down and forward because there, there's some really good stuff out there one of the reasons I like this is kind of my favourite category is that I just think that we always talk about good, honest filmmaking. You know, what it all comes down to is like a bunch of talented people and some really good writing. And if you've got those two things, you don't need, you know, you don't need a hundred million dollars. You can do something with a lot less, and you, you can get amazing results just from making a, a, a really good film. You know, in the true essence of, you know, what is the what is the importance of like the cinematic experience? You know, why did we all start off with it? Back in the the origins of it, where did it come from? Where did acting come from? And for me, this is the category that takes you back to yeah. it. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it. The Imitation Game is is, is an incredible film because it it charts real historical factual accounts. Yeah. <laughs> so does the theory theory of everything. Now, Whiplash and Chef are two sort of more sort of dramatic interpretations and more sort of interesting stories. <clears throat> so we got kind of two versus two. Yeah. yeah. An interesting balance there. <laughs> interesting balance. Um Paul, you wanna say a bit? Well yeah, I mean when it came down to it, it's one of those things where 
the minimal visual effects does mean that it is is entirely the story that is what you're going to be focusing on and when it came down to it there had there were as you heard from the nomination like several films that really did heavily do just plot stuff so it was it was kind of fun to to talk about this beforehand while we were trying to settle it out in Mm. that what do we feel was the best overall film that has nothing to do with big spectacle so (laughs) (laughs) i have to say one of the things i like about movies of this category and one thing i always say it's very important in a film is they should somehow move you emotionally in some way Mm. whatever that whatever that energy is it should do that um just as an example that i found the theory of everything was fantastic at doing that yeah Yeah. really really good at doing that just totally push your buttons you know and i thought ah that's really you didn't need to blow anything up to do that you know you didn't that i enjoyed immensely um you know, that's an amazing, a really important factor to me in this kind of category. I think I felt very similar to you with the Imitation Game. I actually preferred the Imitation Game to the Theory of Everything on the whole. I think Eddie Redmayne's performance of Stephen Hawking stole it in the Theory of Everything. But as a general whole film, I, I preferred the Imitation <laughs> Game. But for me, the thing that annoyed me, which is kind of ironic considering it's in this category, is they had certain very big random shots of big effect planes yeah. flying over London yeah, yeah, I think yeah, now yeah. for me that yeah. you didn't need that you yeah. know like the, the film was strong and, and the story was strong and we all knew the story you were telling you, you didn't yeah. need to I mean we're talking probably in the whole film we're probably talking no more than 12 to 15 seconds of this footage there was just the odd shot every now and again of, of planes flying over but I think but why did you why did you need to put that in and, and for me I think that kind of basically shows you that hasn't won it because <laughs> we've sort of answered our own question but yeah. I, I think for me if those if they'd taken that 15 seconds or whatever out in my eyes the film would have been perfect do you and, think, and it would have been a proper contender do you think in that example that they were worried about A perhaps the audience will their attention will drift if we don't do something like that yeah 100% or, or B we've got oh, shit we've just opened this briefcase and there's a whole other 80 grand we just missed we need to spend <laughs> it we need to spunk this thing on something no I you think it's, you know? I think it's the former I, I, I think that you can feel with the production value of the imitation game against the theory of everything that they they, they, were, tr- they were trying to target more of a kind of consumers film a, a blockbuster if you like as opposed to a theory of everything feels like a sort of more of a a quieter film that not everyone went to see but I, I, everyone I speak to have seen the imitation game over mm-hmm. theory of everything so perhaps they were going more for a bigger audience well I, I think as well that what might have happened is they filmed everything and then they realised we haven't actually set where this scene is or when this scene is we need something to just put here how about this was the night when the planes went over okay quick shot done like it I think it was uh, possibly just slightly lazy screenwriting for that part like just like yeah we'll we'll set it up later yeah (laughs) just whack it in don't worry about it lads it's not a problem I mean could it also be that when people talk about the imitation somehow you know you get Chinese whispers eventually you end up with something at the end and you think in this, they know they're making a film about the Second World War, 
And so Second World War, Second World War, Second World War, everyone thinks, oh, Second World War is having Private Ryan, we better have a few of these in. Yeah. So they think we better chuck a bit in, hadn't we, boys? Because otherwise, all this Second World War bit, and we're not going to deliver the bit. What about a tank? What a nice picture of tank? What about a nice picture of an aeroplane? You know, is it also kind of like, well, we better just in case? Probably. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, a bit, maybe a bit of all of those things. Yeah. And. Um- the most annoying thing about not actually working at one of these studios is we're never going to know for sure no. what it is that did these. But uh, sure. it's fun to fun to think about. If you do, listeners, work at one of these studios and you do have the answer, you can go online to Facebook. You don't mind exploiting your company. Yeah, you and possibly me- being fired. Yeah. Or send us a private message through Facebook <laughs> at Back to the Podcast or Blockbusters. We'll be listening very eagerly for that. Anyway, in the meantime, I think we should talk about where this led us bear. Okay, so the winner for best minimal or no use of visual effects is Whiplash. Nice. <laughs> so... We came and ended up with Whiplash. Mm-hmm. I think this happened because a number of us had seen it and we were thinking, it's really very true to the whole, didn't need didn't need anything. Even, even in the theory of everything, I know that Eddie Redmayne had prosthetic pieces on the face and there's enhancement going on there. I know because I know someone that was in the movie and they saw it. So Whiplash, nothing. Okay, there's one little bit where there's a car accident, mm. but... Even that is like, it's just incidental, you know, incidental. Yeah. They didn't need anything for that. Yeah, and, the, and the, main, the main reason there's a car crash is to slow him down and show his determination to continue on with this thing that he was doing. Yeah, so basically yeah. it's just, I'll oh, just put a little bit of blood on his hand. And I'll just yeah. There, done. So, yeah. Job done. <laughs> Off he goes and we're continuing with the story. So that, I think, I mean, Whiplash is... I, I've got this feeling that out here people keep hearing us mention this during the podcast and they're thinking whiplash what the hell was that yeah i've got this feeling they're out there and i just say maybe we should say a bit about the movie uh, just to fill them sure. in on it so it's the story of a young guy who's who's attending music college and he's a drummer specializing in drums and it's a story of his interaction as a young man trying to prove himself and to improve himself and he encounters this kind of uh, role model leader figure who runs the the main jazz group. It's, this is like the uh, the special forces of jazz, <laughs> if you will. And of course, he wants to get into this group, and inevitably he gets asked to go and sit in. And then the sitting in leads to him playing for it. And then it's this roller coaster between this character, this sort of young guy, versus the main actor who's who played by um jk simmons jk simmons who's just kind of the evil like fucking darth vader without the mask quite frankly <laughs> I, proper evil. I, I like to imagine that he is the twin brother of J. Jonah jameson from the yeah. original spider-man trilogy <laughs> <laughs> you know it's this, it's this great sort of headstrong you know role play between these two characters for the whole film to the point where the guy who's you know mike taylor who's learning drums and working on drums is like practicing to the point where he bleeds you know regularly yeah. during the film it's like you know that's some serious movie making going on there you know some serious yeah. stuff well I mean the, the best way to describe his drive uh, is something he says in the film it's like he doesn't want to be like he doesn't want to be great he wants to be one of the greats and that's that's what you're feeling as you're watching it so yeah you're feeling you're watching the roller coaster and the escalation of all these things and the highs and lows that come with it it's definitely a film that is very easily missed. I would heartily recommend it's checked out. It's a really good, solid film yeah. to watch, you know, with proper, good writing, strong characters, really strong characters, 
and one of those ones that will get you like hating the bad guy and shouting at the TV. Yeah. I, the only misstep I I felt the film had, and I I mentioned it in the Blowbusters, which last one we did, is that the girlfriend character is kind of pointless. That, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, but uh, but even with that, that solid film. Really yeah. Good. Yeah. There it is, right there. Well, that does actually bring us on to our next category, uh, which is Best Young Actor, because the first nominee is Miles Teller for Whiplash. No! <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, remember that one. And uh, then we've also got MJ Anthony from Chef, Alex Lawther from The Imitation Game, and by, correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but this is Tony Rivellari from Grand Buda- Budapest Hotel. I believe that's correct. Uh, which I haven't seen, but Byron was very adamant that he goes in. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Um, okay, Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, man. This was a movie and a half for me. This was a movie and a half. One of the main things about the Grand Budapest Hotel, if you haven't seen it, it's almost like a f- somewhat of a phenomenon in that all of the really big uh, heavyweights... Of cinema seem to be in this um, seem to be in this movie. I mean, you've got just big name after big name after big name just coming up all the time, like Adrian Brody, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Harvey Keitel, Jude Law, Bill Murray, Edward Norton. It just fucking goes on and on and on. <laughs> and you're like, oh my god! So you think with all those really really big names, why would you look at some young kid who you've never seen before? What? Why would you even bother with that when you've got such like? It's almost like this director, the guys behind this movie, uh, Wes Anderson, could literally ring up anybody once. Absolutely anybody, living or dead. <laughs> Bogart, can you? No problem. I'm coming back. Just, um, just I will reprise in the back of the scene. I will reprise my role. <laughs> it's like God. Is anyone not in this thing? So, one of the reasons I felt that was that interesting because you have so many really, really big heavyweights. So why would you? take notice of such a smaller character who's kind of surfaced out of nowhere and that's why this guy comes out of nowhere he's in the film like start to finish he's a really key integral part of the whole movie and the whole story is just framed so beautifully i mean Anthony's done such a good job this is just a great 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 piece of cinema this is why cinema should keep going because it's just it's well written the images the picture the story the setting the timeline everything is like this should be in a screenplay taken over to Hollywood and when they do classes in screenwriting it's like right here is how it's actually done this is the template this is what you want to do so this young guy Tony um, this character Zero it's like he's a funny little character that sort of bounces around the whole time quite lovable quite adorable and he just has some great lines that come out. Most of the time he's very minimalist, but every now and then he comes out with a great couple of speeches. The one where he talks about where he comes from and the hard life he's had. And it kind of comes out of nowhere. You know, it kind of like, oh, sets you back, kind of just puts you on your ass a little bit. So that was one of the reasons why I really pushed him. And hopefully we'll, we'll see him again, you know, in other movies. Yeah, and, and basically everything you said is showing how good Grand Budapest Hotel was. Uh, when we actually came down to talking about who would be the winner for this one, uh, I, I think I managed to get you to take a quick step back and just think, there's not too much of a range to this guy. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> like, was, that was one of the things, yeah. That was it. Like, you know, he, he's good and quite funny and does, like really comes off well on screen, but his character is... Uh, relatively two-dimensional when it comes yeah. to a lot of things. So yeah. that was the, 
So, yes, uh, after that five-minute diatribe from... <laughs> turned out, probably not going to win. <laughs> I think for us... The, the, I mean, but what, don't watch the film. It was really that. awkward, because we were sitting there going, does he, does he know he hasn't won it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, I, just, I do want people to watch the film, though. No, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I yeah, perfectly yeah. agree. It's a fantastic film. I love Wes Anderson. I think the thing to, to mention is that we were both sort of torn between the, the other two, which were Miles... To, I mean, for Alex Lawther, I, I put Alex Lawther in as a bit of a wild card who played the young Alan Turing in the imitation game that I felt, you know, he did a fantastic job. He was a very powerful, you know, powerful little kid who, 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 who did some very powerful scenes, but, you know, fundamentally wasn't really in the film that much, so, so can't really compete with some of the big boys in this list. But really, for us, it was a choice between sort of Miles Teller and MJ Anthony, uh, MJ Anthony from Chef, the, 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 the boy in the Chef. Chef. And I was really behind it because I felt that Chef was actually, you know, similar to how you described Whiplash, I thought, really great little film, really nice journey, very different to Whiplash, you, you know, no, yeah. blood, no blood in it. Kind of um, the alternative to Whiplash, but, really. It's very yeah. upbeat for most of But it was a very positive, you know, if, if ever you need a, you know, a film to show someone to get them out of their funk, you know, if, if, if someone needed to, if someone needed to, you know, if, if you needed to prove to someone, look, it's not all about the money, it's not all about this job, if you want to go and do something, then you should do it. This is the film to show that person because it's a very sort of motivational, inspirational story, and I do believe that the the, the child in it, uh, MJ Anthony, uh, who was the son of John Favreau, the main character, they really had a nice uh, on-screen relationship going on, and 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 the child really added a different dynamic. I feel if they'd written it with just the John Fav- John Favreau character, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as engaging because he had this. He had this sort of, you know, very interesting relationship on screen uh, to to go off. Yeah, Um, my only gripe when it came to that is it's the thing that you see in Hollywood so often now, which is a kid who is way too mature for his age. (laughs) It's, It's kind of interesting to see that obviously the audience loves it when a kid who is 10 years old acts like he's 25 yeah. like has has the the foresight that most adults don't in these exactly. areas. but you then run into like no one really does act like this so he's kind of, he is as much playing a character as anything else so uh, I mean it he was really good in it yeah, he <laughs> I was. will give him that it was very good well without further ado um to announce the winner of the best young actor, it goes to Miles Teller for Whiplash. We presented such a good cases for all the other from actors, everyone else, but then it went to Miles. <laughs> and, I, and I think the reason is because you presented such a, a great case for the film. You know, it is such an amazing film, and and I think the the main reasoning behind this decision from all of us was the fact that you're really on that journey with that character and and you can't say that about any of the other contenders you know that that film is about that character miles you know and and miles teller delivered it so brilliantly i think even though everyone that watches it may not be a musical or a musician i think that the scenarios that he faces with very sort of tough uh role models everyone can sort of look back at a time in their life where they looked up to someone that was a tough role model that may not have liked but influenced them or when they've been at home at the family table and like you think you've done something really good then someone sort of puts you down and that that the way the character handles that conflict and you know there's there's these things that kind of go oh yeah that's kind of happened to me and there's some great moments that give that actor the opportunity to 
give you a response yeah. in those ways. You can go think back to your own life, you know, either a reflection or, oh, he did it differently to how I did it. But either way, when it's done in the story, it's a great moment, I find, when I watched it. No, I, I was going to say, you actually touched on it. My, my favourite bit in that film is when he is at the table with his dad and uh, the two other guys who are... I, I'm not 100% sure exactly what they were doing, but well, they're, they're clearly like quarterbacks was a sport, yeah, was a, and a, a jock, sporting yeah. university type thing. And he's trying to put across, like, what I'm doing is incredibly difficult. And everyone's just like, yeah, okay. Well, how about this guy? He was throwing this touchdown earlier. Yeah. Like, and just seeing seeing it. that scene, it was it was fantastically done so <laughs> yeah it was really well put together yeah. and it's just a, it's a great moment in that movie <laughs> such a juicy moment quite yeah. early on and you're like ah oh, oh, you know <laughs> what's going on they kind of don't and it just you're it, it just in again it just gets you inside that story doesn't it yeah and it's also one of those things that uh, if you're watching the film and not not that into it you could come away thinking that he actually hasn't come out that good from that conversation but if you are with him and actually following it it's like you know that's that's the best result he could have asked for out of that so yeah yeah well done last time Great, well, moving on to our penultimate category, uh, the bit of the joke card, which is the worst film of 2014. Right, let's have them, Ben. Um, <laughs> Sin City 2. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber 2. A Million Ways to Die in the West. And Big Hero 6. Now, I can't comment too much because two out of the four I haven't seen, Sin City 2 or Dumb and Dumber 2. I haven't heard great things about either of those films. A Million Ways to Die in the West I have seen and uh, frankly I enjoyed, but I can see why a lot of people always mention like that wasn't a great film of that year, and I, I, I can see why. Um, Big Hero 6, over to Byron. Right, OK, so the, let's just explain the Big Hero, because I'm sure that there's a good deal of young people that quite enjoy um, Big Hero 6 and probably really like that one and probably a few parental figures that were that's the kind of film they take off the shelf buy it get it home to the family because they know it's going to be a winner so why would we try and pan it in this fashion well you've probably heard us talk about it in uh, podcasts and previously but I just felt that for the team that was behind it and from what they were capable of and what they were trying to do it didn't feel like they were really very committed or really thought out with the movie I just felt like it was just overall very weak they hadn't really locked down a good portrayal of a character and I know I'm being hard I know it's it's supposed to be it's it's, it's a young person's film but so what I don't care you know what so the Hunger Games you could argue that's a young person Harry Potter if you watch the last two or three of those you could argue that's a young person's film but I tell you what when I watched those movies those young person's film they absolutely held up with really really good cinema of any genre they stood their own so it's no excuse so for me, that's why I felt I don't feel Big Hero Six is a kind of contender, you know. That's that's you know made the way it could have done, and it's in the worst film bracket for me. Well, shall we announce the winner, and then, <laughs> and then you can tell us why that uh, particular film uh, reel lost, it out, which is so the winner of the worst film of 2014 was Dumb and Dumber 2. I lasted about 20 minutes in this movie. I got about 20, 20, maybe, let's say 25 tops, and I I could not 
could not go any further. You know that TV series, Man vs. Food, yeah. where he gets something so hot that it nearly <laughs> blinds him? It, this is what it was like in cinema for me as a critic. It was like, I couldn't go any further, and I'm, I just couldn't take it it's anymore. It's that age-old problem, isn't it, of, take it se- anymore. <laughs> of sequels to comedies, isn't it? That's that's the problem, because, I mean, I felt I haven't actually seen Dumb and Dumber because I knew from the trailer that I'm, I will not enjoy this film. Um, but I, felt, I remember, I know how you feel, because I felt the same with Anchorman too when I watched it and just thinking it's like you've sat in a boardroom and gone right what worked with the first one great let's do more of that and you know the you know the real sin you know the real sin of it is I, I'm telling you now I reckon Carrie I reckon those two guys Carrie and um, Jeff Daniels were really uh, really thinking it was a good idea I bet yeah. they were like, I bet they were like oh this is going to be so good this is going to be so funny it'll be just like when we were back in the 90s no boys no it won't it is a shame isn't it because those two are, are such good they are so good in their own right and, and, and really the film they've done a full circle because one would argue that Dumb and Dumber really made was one of the films that sort of made Jim Carrey's career. And well, I'll tell you, it made Jeff Daniels. Uh, well, it, uh, yeah, <laughs> it made him for what we saw him as in that film. I think he was quite taken quite seriously before, but but um, <laughs> and now they've gone sort of full circle where they're obviously a bit bored and a bit, you know, running out of a bit of cash. And um, yeah, well, just yeah, something to do. Well, hey, well, I mean, uh, me and Brian actually kind of ragged into this on uh, on our <laughs> podcast, but. Uh, yeah, the the biggest issue with it was they, I think the amount of time that passed between the first one coming out yeah. and this one was the problem because they, kind of like how Wayne's World Two is fairly similar to Wayne's World One, but they then take their own spin on it and because they came out what two years apart, yeah, yeah. like everyone was still into it. Whereas this one, everyone has seen the first one thirty times, and then you go and see the second one, which is exactly the same as the first one but in a different setting. Like there's. There's almost nothing in it that they didn't do a version of in the first one, with the exception of, I think, the daughter subplot. And, yeah, like it was, it was dull, which is the worst thing you can say about a comedy. It yeah. was just dull. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't think comedies... Sequels to comedies like that normally don't ever work. Yeah, the, the and problem this, is this isn't it, a good advert for it. it. It has to be done perfectly, or it'll fail. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> well, moving on from that experience, so we come to our last category of our 2014 film, uh, which is the best film experience of 2014. You remember we did this last year. Again, to summarise, it's it's the one we walk away from having the most fun. It's not it's not necessarily the best film it's 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 what we enjoyed watching the most the one where we walked away with the biggest smile and and, and having the most fun so yeah. the nominations are whiplash the theory of everything guardians of the galaxy and the grand budapest hotel mm. so before i announced the winner i was dead set on this i knew the winner of this before i even wrote any of the other nominations down <laughs> And this, there was only one answer to this for me. I don't know how that you you guys felt, but I had a foot either side on this one. For me, this is a category that has to have a feel good factor about it. But it's also, for me, what's really important about this category is that this is why we go to the cinema. This is why it's worth taking twenty bucks or whatever and getting that ticket. Yeah, that's a, that's an important thing of this category. Um, so for me, I felt very strongly about a couple of movies in this list um, Paul yeah, well 
The problem when it comes to, like, you have the Oscars, obviously, is just best film. And that's just critically what people think is the best film. Whereas what cinema is, people can argue that cinema is an escape. Like, just trying to leave, leave behind reality for a while, just get into another universe and soak it in. And if you come out of a cinema bawling your eyes out... They've succeeded. It's actually been a great experience for you because you've been it's sucked in. You, yeah, yeah. If you come out laughing your ass off again, <laughs> they've succeeded because you've gone in. To, you've gone into a comedy and it's been fantastic and it made you laugh. And you go into an action thriller, and you are on the edge of your seat. That is why people want to see cinema, and that's what we're looking for. Like, you don't just want. Like, well, that shot was fantastically done. Yeah. <laughs> you want that film was fantastically done. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think when you come out of the cinema, it leaves you thinking about the film for like exactly. hours and days afterwards. It's on your mind. It really has got you, you know, and you want to talk to people about yeah. it. And this is probably of all the categories, is the one category where you absolutely need to get this film in your collection if you don't have it. This yeah. is the way, if you're only going to buy one DVD, this is the one you're yeah. going to get, right? <laughs> this is it. So get ready. So without further ado, <laughs> let's announce the winner of the best film experience of 2014 which is Guardians of the Galaxy yes and we were all I think 100% on that yeah we we were all totally happy with that one there was very little bickering and the knives were put away and it was all very amicable (laughs) I think the surprise for me for this one was that I think it it was one that I I just didn't see coming. Like like I I, I mean you're you're not a follower of of, of I'm really Marvel. Not. I'm really but, not. But I, I am, and He's I, not, and, you I know. and I <laughs> and I follow the Avengers and the Captain Americas. And this is the one that I didn't really know much about. You know, before it, they they didn't really overplay the the trailer. I didn't really see much of it. I thought this looks a bit weird, but it just it just looked a little bit sort of. Are they just going to chuck this out for good measure? And I went to see it and. And loved it, and and I have to say I went to see it three times at the cinema. It's the only film for a while that I've that I've done that to. And then I bought it on Blu-ray the day it came out, and and watched it a fourth time, and and just love it. And I walked out saying, and you mis- misunderstood me here because I walked out saying that's what I want Star Wars to be like. And I don't mean in terms of plot <laughs> or it's just I. You worried me for a minute. I, I, I copy. What I meant by it is the fact that I was watching. I sat there as a 28-year-old man in the cinema watching Guardians of the Galaxy and it took me back to feeling like a kid watching Star Wars for the first time, like being genuinely excited and, and enjoying the action and, and, and getting involved with the character subplots and stuff like that. And, and that's what I meant by, by it, it. That's what I want Star Wars to be like because I want it to, to grab me and go, this is, this is awesome. I can agree on that. Yeah. Well, for me, it was a... It felt it wasn't identical, but it was damn close. Like coming out the year before, having seen Pacific Rim, and I just yeah, yeah I was like, I've, like, I just felt like a kid again. <laughs> it's like, I think yeah. I actually just got chills again mentioning Pacific Rim. Like, it's, uh, like it was one of those things where you just come out. It's like I, I wasn't thinking at all during yeah, that film. Yeah. I was just, I was just uh, watching this thing wash over me. It was, it was so much fun. And they they had 
so many of the right people playing those roles as well. Like, yeah. it was, uh, it, again, as, as we said earlier, like, Marvel knows what they're doing, yeah. and I, I think we should just let Marvel have a hand in every film. Now, <laughs> just have one person from Marvel go to each studio and just give it quality the control. Over. Yes, quality exactly. Control. Well, with someone it might be more Disney than Marvel. We we don't know. They're the ones writing the checks, but maybe Marvel are the ones that are making the creative I, decisions. I'm fairly certain that uh, Marvel's making the decisions. Just, I think Disney bought them and just went, yeah, just keep doing it. Do what just, you want. We'll, we'll write the checks yeah. out for you. I think I think the thing with Guardians for me that, that really surprised me is 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 people people are often afraid to make films um, in I know they're not new characters but I think they're new characters to, to sort of comic book lovers because they're not well known characters they're not like the Wolverines and the Spider Mans and things like that and I think often filmmakers are, are afraid to make new films which is why we're seeing so many remakes at the moment and and reboots and things yep. and I think this film proves that you can go in with a film that's relatively unknown and take characters that are relatively unknown but by the end you're rooting for them or you're grooting for them um, <laughs> you know you're lovely you're, well, nice <laughs> <laughs> but but it's true, you know, because I, I, at the end of that two hours, you, you're you're feeling something for these characters. Um, where it, for me, at the beginning, I had no idea who any of them were, and, and that proves to to the to the nervy filmmakers that you can do it. You can you can win over an audience in the space of one film without having to reboot a, a, an existing story just so you've got an existing fan base, um, and that was the thing that rung true for me with Guardians. Well, and, and that's the thing as well. Like, could you imagine... Obviously, you've got the Avengers, where you've got your Iron Man, your Captain America. They've all been established, and then they get their group film. Yeah. I couldn't imagine them trying that with this group. No. Because, obviously, everything you needed to know was the film, and they ended up as the official group by the end. Yeah. Uh, and that this was the smart way to go. Yeah. So, it's something where you... You get to see, well, we know that you can have standalones and then a group film, but you can also have a group film. Yeah. <laughs> so you left them to their own devices and they were able to work it out. So, yeah. yeah I, I don't really have anything bad to say about no. this film. And I... Um... And I'm really looking forward to seeing more. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, what, two more years, from, I think. Yeah. Worth the wait, gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. Worth the wait. Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in to this very, very special second annual unofficial official non-Academy Awards Awards podcast for the movies of 2014. As usual, if you've enjoyed listening and tuning into this, you can leave a comment on iTunes, which always helps things out. You can also find us electronically on the World Wide Web on Facebook for our services, Back to the Podcast, and I believe it's Blokebusters. It indeed. The very fine gentlemen in the United States that keep you informed and updated. <laughs> Although I, I will say for us, Twitter is our best. One that's at Blokebusters because that it is so much easier for us to keep in contact with people getting a hold of us so yeah do, do check us out on there and I I also do a little thing with uh, another podcast called so- Soiled Restroom Cinema lovely name um, and well, they, what kind of movies is that reviewing <laughs> oh well that's the thing they, they take some of the worst films you have ever seen and rip into them and so what I've been doing is watching the film ahead of their podcast release and then ripping into it myself the night before so yeah you can, you can kind of follow me doing that and then uh, listen to theirs the next day. So it's, it's been 
a lot of fun. It really has. So, so you can uh, watch out for me doing that, as well as us in general, just on Twitter at Blokebusters. So, fantastic. Well, it's been fun. It's been an enjoyable experience, <laughs> and that concludes our review of the uh, our Oscar celebration for the movies of 2014. If you like pina Sounds kind of mean, but me and my old.